Welcome to APQC's podcast. I'm Holly Lake Hoagland, Principal Research Lead for Process and Performance Management. I'm joined today by Melissa Kreppel, the Product Manager for APQC's Process Classification Framework, or PCF as we commonly refer to it. Today, we're going to discuss the PCF and dive into some of the fundamentals of what is the PCF, what makes it unique, and how people apply it in their organizations. So thank you for joining me today, Melissa. Um, The first big question I always like to kind of dive into is, so what is the process classification framework? At its core, the process classification framework is a taxonomy of business processes that are set in a hierarchical function. Um, Think of, of it as your dictionary for processes. Um, It allows you to pick out processes in a common language um, across organizations and um, across industries. So if you're not looking inside your organization to meet a common language, then you're able to do that outside of your organization. Um, There's several different factors that go into the process classification framework as well. Um, One of those being um, that the process classification framework, unlike a process model or a process map, is MISI, and that just simply means mutually exclusive and collectively exhaustive. Or in other words, you're not going to see the same process twice, and all processes within the framework are exhaustive, meaning that if there's a process in business, you're probably going to find it in the framework. Um, It is good to know that, um, unlike, again, process models or maps, Um, The framework is, like I said, more of a dictionary. It doesn't indicate um, the flow of how processes are performed in the end, but it does give you that language to start making those process maps or those process models on down the line. I think that's a great kind of addition that a lot of people kind of get confused about that difference between what is a framework versus a map or a model. And, and the framework itself, even though it does have structure, it's that hierarchy, it's that hierarchy of how processes are related to one another. Not necessarily that these are the exact steps you'll go through to accomplish something. Um, again, because that structure with a lot of times when you see a mo- models and maps, you see cross-functional. So something could be in 1.0 vision strategy um, for, part of your, for part of your process and other pieces of it could then be in, in sales and marketing aspects of it. And so that's why we have swim lanes, right? Because it then shows how different functions work together to execute a process. Um, so the next kind of big question that uh, a lot of people struggle with is, so the process classification framework has two different numbers. One is that hierarchy ID and the other is this unique identifier. Um, can you tell everybody a little bit about what do you think uh, or why we have those two different numbers? So that hierarchy ID kind of harks back to what you were saying about the hierarchy of um, functions or these processes. Um, In the process classification framework, um, unlike models and maps, it's not really cross-functional. You'll see them in silo categories. And those silo categories have a hierarchy. So in each of those categories, you'll see um, a hierarchy of process groups. That's going to be your highest hierarchy. And that's going to have a number like a one dot. And then you'll see your processes that will go further down and then your tasks and your activities, which will go further down and further down and then hierarchy. 
Um, and the unique identifiers of those PCF IDs allows you to pull those process elements out and put them into your models and your maps because that's that's a five-digit unique identifier that will travel with that process element no matter where it goes. It's kind of like what you told me one time, Holly. It's kind of like it's um, it's passport. It's always going to be with you. Yeah, and in other ways, like the, those hierarchy IDs is kind of like a driver's license number, right? So if you move from state to state to state, that number is going to change. But that ID number is going to stick with you through everything. Absolutely. So in a lot of ways, and, and then a lot of ways, just kind of simplify it. The framework then is kind of, you, you like to call it um, a dictionary. I always like to call it the building blocks. So it's all the different colors, shapes, sizes of blocks you're going to need to build out what your processes look like. Um, so it's a great reference guide for, for executing your process work and doing things along those like that. Um, kind of the next thing that we always see a lot of people want to know then is, so how is the process classification framework or APQC's PCF different than other frameworks like SCORE or ITIL or ETOM? So when you talk about the other frameworks, they're, they're more centric to um, particular functional areas. So SCORE, for example, is going to be your supply chain specific framework, whereas APQC's process classification framework um, isn't agnostic in that way, meaning that you're going to be you're going to be represented, you're going to be um, allowed the opportunity to have a large mix of business process elements that you can utilize. So you'll see things out of supply chain, you'll see things out of human resource management, you'll see things out of finance, IT, and so on. Um, it's not industry specific either, meaning that um, the the cross industry process classification framework can be utilized and picked up by any industry um, that's wishing to start off on an initiative or get a better idea of what's going on within their organization. Um, additionally, with the process classification framework tied into it. Um, you'll have a list of measures that go along with these business process elements. So you can start going in and kind of benchmarking yourself against these measures and KPIs that are within the framework. Um, additionally, one of the really neat things about the process classification framework and kind of why you call it building blocks, I call it dictionary, is because we have definitions for all of our processes that allow you to really get an apples to apples conversation going on about what those processes are that you're working with within your organization. I think that's a great point. One of the things that is so unique about the framework, like you said, is its breadth. It is incredibly wide. It encompasses pretty much all of the functions and, and the topic areas that you're going to have process work in the organization. Whereas like you said, a lot of other ones will go really, really deep into a specific area like IT. Um, or And I know there's some also out there that are also looking at some industry-specific frameworks. Like, I can't believe there's one for banking out there in the world. Um, but with the PCF, you get that unique ability to have that, that big picture view, especially as so many organizations are multiple industries at this point in time. So they have that cross-functional framework that they can build off of and then take things from some of those other industry-specific ones for different business lines and kind of streamline it that way. 
That's correct. It really allows you to not not niche yourself or it can compromise other aspects of your business by only having um, a, a functional specific framework at your disposal to use. So it does allow that cross functionality to come into play that you otherwise wouldn't see in some of the other frameworks that are out there. Um, so Holly, how do you how have you seen people use the the framework? Well, especially like in uh, the case studies and the research that we do, uh, there's a, a a lot of a myriad of random ways I've seen people use it, but I think there's really kind of a handful of core ones that we see. And I think the first one and the most common one that we see every year when we we do some feedback loops with clients as well as our biannual surveys, they use it for what, what I call standardization of process discovery. And that's really using it as a reference model to create alignment between your different groups, your uh, different parts of the business, um, to say this is our processes. These are the one the one approach to process that we're going to do for, say, AP. Um, some of the examples we've seen that is like, one organization uh, used it to as kind of a, a neutral third party and some process mapping work they did for their ERP implementations. So they had three different groups buying three different ERPs, um, which wound up wasting a lot of time and money. Um, so instead, they used the framework then to help them map out their end-to-end processes for that in particular. And that got rid of a lot of redundancies and helped them streamline on that kind of one language of how we're going to talk about these processes. Um, other ones from that kind of discovery perspective we've seen is people use it to tag um, all the different documentation and process knowledge um, or to walk through what their processes look like to help them identify, you know, places where, oh, well, we don't really actually have anything lined out for a specific process. So we can use that that dictionary or that, that building blocks then to help build that out for us. Or we have, you know, eight SOPs specifically for one process. So that means there's so many different ways people are doing it. Um, and that kind of helps them, again, once again, see those redundancies and help streamline. I know you guys work a lot also then looking at that standardization aspect, Melissa, correct? Right, especially when it comes to benchmarking and having that common language to be able to make those comparisons, not only within the organization, but outside of the organization as well, um, which is really important when you're talking about standardization of having that common language. So when you start um, looking at your internal efforts, you can, you can have that common language instead of having um, three different people trying to do the same work, they're calling it different things. So it really lends itself to to looking at those redundancies. And it also um, gives you the ability to, like you said, to look at those gaps. Um, because you, unless you can be able to define and call it out, you kind of don't know what you're missing. Right. And I know a lot of kind of con- conflicts between different departments can come between we're talking about a process in a different language, right? One group, customer service is defining it this way, whereas sales is defining it another way. Um, my favorite anecdote is always the fact that my husband and my son have always gotten into arguments when they're saying the exact same thing, but using different words. And we see that at the business level as well. Um, just kind of those misunderstandings um, and those misalignments just because of language. 
Um, I think one of the aspects that you talked about that makes the PCF unique is also those definitions, right? So even if we say the same words for the process, um, it's still potentially open to interpretation, but having those clear definitions then for what is included in this process and how we define it also helps with that common language, don't you think? Absolutely. I think that it's a really good way for people to understand what's going on um, within their organization without having that misinterpretation that can so often happen when you when you're talking of the same thing like your husband, your son. If only we could have it a taxonomy for for relationships between parents and child. I think it would make a big difference. Right. I think that and like translating between the business and IT, if we could crack those two nuts, I think we'd, we'd uh, be set for life. Um, one oh, of the things for that, sure. One of the things that we also see people use it for is related to that common language. And as we see people use it as a taxonomy, um, we see them use it for a couple of different ways. They use the framework for taxonomies. Some organizations use it as a structure for the process repositories. Um, so that's how they'll set up their SharePoint site. So when people are looking for knowledge, um, they're looking for the steps for a process. They're looking for the business rules for their process, um, their lessons learned and all that. It's, it's all together in the language of the context of the process they're trying to execute. Um, another way we've seen it is that some use it as a way to collate and connect information. Um, we see one interesting application of taxonomy we saw is one organization used it as the structure for their process repositories, but also for their ISO certification audits. So they structured everything around the process classification framework. And they used that as, like I said, their different SharePoint sites for the execution of their processes. And that was great because both of those groups are, are using the same information, right? We're looking at measures. We're looking for documentation. We're looking for efficiencies and all of that. Um, so that was another kind of cool application from a taxonomy perspective that I saw. Um, but one of the ones that's actually been growing quite a bit lately is also applying a PCF or a process framework as part of your data architecture taxonomy. So as part of the taxonomy or the metadata that is used for all of that data you've got out there. So to help kind of then be able to pull that information together as you need to, or to be able to use it for kind of structuring the data so that it can be used in dashboards more easily. Um, one of the growing applications, particularly for this, has been process mining. Because um, one of the things to be able to have process mining is it relies on data in your systems. But you have to have a couple of things to make process mining work. You know, you have to have time so you'll be able to measure, you know, the cycle time of, of, of it moving around. You have to have, um, but even most importantly, is you have to have it associated with a process. So you have to have that data in the systems and where it's moving through things associated and tagged to specific processes associated with those instances. So you can then track it and use that data driven to identify what does our process execution actually look like? Where are our bottlenecks? You know, where is the redundancies and things like that? Um, so I think taxonomy has definitely been a growing area for the PCF. And that couple of points are huge. Um, number one, to be able to utilize the framework for auditing so that you can streamline 
audit. So it's not as horrendous to try to get through and understand and you can have that available to you. That's amazing. Um, another thing is to be in regard to the data mining, just to be able to find that data without having five or 10 different key phrases or words, um, you have that one word, that one um, process element, that one thing that can get you to where you need to be more efficiently. That's huge. And I think one of the ways people have been simplifying that too is just to make it that five-digit ID. So they're attaching that to their data. So that way it makes it a simpler form and it also keeps it that traceability. So even if your processes change, as long as that ID is the same and the data associated with it then is the same, um, it keeps it simpler um, as far as doing all of that works. And it also doesn't you know, bog a lot of other people down with what does this mean um, through having a long process phrase associated with it. So and probably the biggest, the biggest place we see is then, and you kind of alluded to it earlier, Melissa, is in addition to the discovery work and the standardization, the second biggest thing we see people use it for is benchmarking. And I know you kind of work in both sides of that world, both in, in the framework as well as working with our benchmarking group. Yeah, and what's really what's really neat, what's really interesting about the framework, and I had alluded about to it, like he had said, um, is that we have those we have those measures within the framework. And those measures directly relate back to elements within the framework. So you've got that common language when you go into benchmark, especially with APQC, because we have those assessments that are tethered to our framework. So when you take an assessment and you see the metrics that within the, the PCF and you start looking at the data that is provided, you really do get the get that sense of apples to apples and you you get that that comfort level of knowing that there is a common language that is being presented out there not only to you but to others to be able to come back and be able to look at that benchmarking data so it's really neat in that respect that we have that availability to be able to do that and you can easily trace back um our benchmarking and our assessments straight to the pcf and not only do our assessments have the um, definitions for um, our benchmarks, but our PCF has the definitions back to those process elements that are within our benchmarking. Right. And, and one of the other things is, and it's not just the quantitative benchmarking, but also qualitative benchmarking. Um, again, that common language. So when we're talking about um, a specific customer service process, everybody's using the same language so that when we're talking about how we execute it, we're talking about it in the same buckets. Um, but one of the things we also do here um, for our resource library, the research, what our research team does is when we publish case studies or we publish best practices or, or any of those things, we also tie them directly to process elements and we use those PCFIDs for publishing. So that makes it easier for you then to also look specifically like I want to look at the logistics processes. Um, and then you can identify using those same kind of IDs and those processes specific case studies that are associated with it or specific drivers that we've seen that have improved that particular aspect. Yeah, it's a huge offering that's centered around the PCF, our process classification framework that can really, once you've defined what your processes are and you want to benchmark them, you really have the availability to do that. 
And um, we see a lot of organizations on the benchmarking side that will come in and do the benchmarking and really start looking at not just one or two metrics, but the metrics as a whole and start kind of analyzing what's going on within their organizations and then using that data to start making decisions. Um, and it allows them to really, through the process, get a handle, if they don't already, on what's going on in their organizations and start make start asking questions and start making decisions based upon those questions. So I know we've both talked to a lot of people who are using the framework and and how they're applying it. So what is the most interesting or unusual application that you've seen with you with the customers you've talked to? Uh, the, the majority of the people that I speak with are using it in the realm of benchmarking. Um, and that's really, really interesting to me. Um, we have seen a couple of, of organizations actually um, prepare their internal taxonomies using the PCF and then benchmark um, their processes related to the PCF and then take that data, their benchmarking data, and um, benchmark with this year over year so that they can start getting trend data um, over how their organization is performing so that they can see not only what the as-is state is, but then they can start making those decisions on what to do um, in a new field or a new strategy that they might have and see how that strategy then aligns with what they're doing and um, kind of get a bigger picture of what's going on within their organization. Nice. I love the fact that they're looking at it contextually because I think that's one of the things people miss out on when they're looking at the benchmarking data is, is the context that it provides for your decision making. Um, I think it was EMC. We did a case study with ages ago before Dell bought them. And one of the things that they included in their end-to-end process uh, performance dashboards was the quarterly updates on the, um, the benchmarking trends. So what are the median and the top performer values for the different end-to-end processes KPIs? And that really gave them context for you know how they were doing, whether they needed to kind of stretch goal it to push some more improvement opportunities in, in one place or another. And, and it works really, really well to help you. Otherwise, you're looking at your performance data year over year over year and without any real context of what it means, except in the idea of where you're at. Um, I think the coolest, most interesting approach to the framework I ever saw was an organization that used it actually for the budgeting process. So they took each one of the oh, wow. process categories, right, and associated it with a function. Um, and then they used that to help them understand and categorize which of those groups were core in their process support or were support functions or things like that. And then they were able to pull in, again, that benchmarking data and use that as a comparison for their performance. So mixing, you know, the strategy with um, where that, that particular process group set as far as core supporting, et cetera, and their their particular performance helped them then identify where they wanted to put their budget at and who needed more budget to improve this or which group was performing fine. And and they were not really directly tied to the strategy that year. So their budget would be a different amount. It was just kind of a very interesting angle. That is really neat. I like that idea. 
I had not heard of that before. I think there's all, I love the fact that people get creative when we get them. I never, I mean, never would have thought of them using that. I mean, I guess it's its own form of taxonomy, but the application of, of people and using frameworks is, it always is, is fascinating. So. It's, it's nice to hear that they're taking that above and beyond what we normally see and really pursuing it in other avenues within the organization to use them and these out-of-the-box kind of interpretations and, and really gleaning some sort of performance improvement and, and budgetary constraints and allowances out of that. That's huge. So... Thank you, Melissa, so much for the great conversation and insights. It's always great talking about the process classification framework with you and helping provide, you know, some answers to people around kind of some of the fundamental aspects of it. And thank you all for listening to this APQC podcast. So if you like what you heard, subscribe to APQC's podcast and visit apqc.org to learn more. Have a great rest of your day.